This is Martha, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. So last week we talked about what it meant to be gratefully disposed as a person. And I challenge you to give 30 to 60 seconds every day in grateful prayer to God. I want to continue that a little bit today by looking at what is commonly called, the scriptures called road, the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. And I want to begin by just asking a very simple question, one that I think we've all had experience with. Have you ever had an experience that didn't turn out like you thought it was and then realized there's much more to it. I think we've all had experiences like that. Maybe it was something as simple like a vacation that started and then it ended up being a bust. Or maybe a a job that you began and it didn't turn out like the job you interviewed for. Or maybe you began in a career and then suddenly found that career shifting into things that you didn't think would ever be possible. Now, sometimes those things, those changes for us are negative. Sometimes it goes in a way that was different than we thought and it's painful, but sometimes it can be better than we thought. Sometimes things happen and we think, wow, this is cooler than I imagined it to be. An example for that to me as we wrap up our capital campaign today is actually what happened in the parish house. As we developed the plans for it, as we made the door and the lights and the sound system, when it was all said and done, In my heart, I thought, this is cooler than I thought it was going to be. The idea of reality exceeding or being less than what we imagined is pretty common. Happens to us a lot. And whether we remember or lament the times when it's bad or we forget when it's good, because I think that's what happens, we see a little bit of both in Luke 24 today. So let's look very briefly at this passage, an important passage of Scripture. These two guys, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're on their way to Emmaus, and it's the very first Easter. They're distraught. They're disappointed by the events that they have witnessed because it hasn't gone like they thought it would. This is one of those moments where they think that what's occurred is less than their expectations, and so they're crushed. And maybe they're going home. We're not sure where they're heading, why they're going to Emmaus, but there they go with their tail between their legs. And you can see one of the problems right off the bat is that what happens to us It's the same thing that happened to them. What do we do when life gets complicated? When we stop giving thanks for what's going on in our lives? When we lose the vision for who God wants us to be and we start heading our own way? What happens in those moments inside of us? Such an important question. And even more poignant, perhaps, is what do we do to prevent our expectations from getting in the way of seeing Jesus along the way? So let's answer that question by looking at why these two were kept from recognizing Jesus. And hopefully you saw that. Jesus withheld his identity from them. It wasn't that they just didn't recognize him. He, Jesus, did not want them to see who he was. And so why 
is really fundamental to this passage. It's not that he wants to hide himself from them forever, but he doesn't want to be seen in this one moment. I think some of the obvious reasons are so that he can teach them about why his death mattered, so that he can undo their wrong starting point, that they thought that they needed a militaristic Messiah, and so that he can visit some of their unrealistic expectations. Because here's what happens, guys. When we have unrealistic expectations, and when those unrealistic expectations go unchallenged, when they go untested, we find ourselves with wrong conclusions. We find ourselves with misunderstandings. And so Jesus keeps their eyes closed until he can correct those expectations. So the conversation starts with Cleopas and his companion basically asking Jesus, are you from another planet or something? Where have you been? Have you not seen what has happened in Jerusalem? And they begin to talk about what's gone on in the last week. And everything they say is true. Jesus was a prophet, and yet he was more than a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed, they say. And they make it clear that it was the religious leaders, not the majority of the people who were amazed at his teaching. But it was the religious leaders who wanted him dead. And then we come to the problem. Four simple words. I hope you saw them. As they tell this story of Jesus, they get to the end of it, and then they say, but we had hoped, but we had hoped, such a small little phrase, and it is in fact why Jesus keeps them from seeing him. So pause, ask yourself this question, how many times have you begun a sentence with those same words? Josh, the music was good today, but I had hoped... Ouch. Hey, the, the meal was really good, but I had hoped. Don't say that unless you want to start doing the cooking. Hey, the sermon was good, but I had hoped. Yeah, I know, me too. Um, when we offer that little phrase, but I had hoped, we ruin whatever we were just talking about. But how much more when we say it about our relationship with God? What are we really saying when we say to God, God, I'm really happy for this, but I had hoped. What we're saying is, that was good, God, but it wasn't quite good enough for me. These two guys who were on the road, they were followers of Jesus. They had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was going to redeem Israel. They expected the glory of the Messiah to come in the promised kingdom, just like Abraham and David had told them it would come. But they didn't have space for a dying Messiah. Even though it's what the Old Testament said would happen. Even though the Old Testament in detail had said this is exactly how it would occur. They were not interested in believing in that Messiah. They wanted something else. The truth is, we see by their words that they didn't follow Jesus because they were interested in persecution or suffering. They followed him because they wanted to sit on his right and on his left in his kingdom. They didn't want to die for him. They wanted to reign with him. What about us? What about you? Where are the places in your life where you've experienced things 
that you'd rather not experience. And now you're telling God, but I had hoped. Maybe you've been misunderstood and rejected by people that you thought should accept and love you. Maybe you've heard God's call to repentance and holiness, but instead you keep doing what you want. Maybe you have seen God's generosity of spirit and of the treasure in your life, knowing all that he's done for you. Instead of, and, but instead of sharing that spirit, keep it under wraps. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. As long as we tell God what we want, as long as we tell him what we want him to give us and the way in which we want him to give it to us, here's the promise of Luke 24. We won't see Jesus. So keep the attitude as long as you'd like. You won't see Jesus. The second thing that prevents them from seeing Jesus is their incomplete knowledge. They had a partial knowledge of what had happened on that day. When they had heard of his death, they were, of course, at a complete loss. But then they started hearing stories about the women who had, found, who had gone to the tomb and found it empty. But they didn't stick around to hear the whole story, so they left. And their incomplete knowledge led them to some incomplete conclusions about who Jesus was, about what Jesus was about. They needed to know that Jesus had risen from the dead. They needed to know that he was alive. They needed to know that this was actually part of the plan. <clears throat> this was vital to the plan. This wasn't some kind of violation of the plan at all. They needed to know those facts and have their misunderstandings corrected. And so Jesus very faithfully corrects their incomplete knowledge. Let's pause for a second and just give thanks that he does that. Isn't it awesome that even when you and I are wrong, even when we don't know all the facts, even when we think we know what's going on, but in fact don't know, God doesn't leave us be. He doesn't leave us there. Isn't that great news? We don't deserve it. But God still comes to us and says, yeah, you're close, but you're still missing it. Let's walk a while. And these guys, it wasn't that they didn't believe the scriptures. They did, but they missed crucial details. And their selective, partial understanding was very dangerous. So were they right about Christ coming to reign in his glory? Absolutely. Did the Old Testament promise all of that? It absolutely did. Did it fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament that they already believed and knew? Yes. But like the rest of the Jews in their culture, they had this expectation of what the Messiah's triumphal glory would be. And so their partial knowledge was in fact dangerous and Jesus doesn't leave them there. Think about yourself for a second. Where are the gaps in your understanding of God? Where are the gaps in your understanding of Scripture? Or are you even trying to understand them? I don't know. Or have you just given over to what everybody else does and Google it? Are you content with that rather than going to people who, in fact, do have understanding, do have a relationship with God? Have you asked them to help you, to pray with you? Or are you hoping that it just sort of happens by osmosis? If we're, a, if we're unable to understand what Jesus is doing in our lives, if we're unable to understand what he's doing in the community and in the world, does that mean that he's actually not there? No, it does not mean that. 
It means that we don't know enough and we've stopped looking for answers. We've chosen to be satisfied with the incomplete answers. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me with questions about God, looking for answers for discernment about their lives. They want to know more about the Bible and I want to help them. So I give them resources or I connect them with somebody else. I put them in contact with a group that they can join and then they don't do it. It happens all the time. Maybe we just love incomplete knowledge. Last week, I challenged you to give 30 to 60 seconds every day in thanksgiving to God. Did you do it? Seven days, did you thank him once a day for a minute or less? Or are you just content with not seeing Jesus? Those are your choices. Don't see him at all. Or do a little bit. Christian, stop settling that you know enough to get yourself into heaven, but then not take enough time each day to listen to him, to listen to the scriptures, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen to the family of God that he's put around you. Please stop thinking that just because you come here every so often that this will get you through, tide you over until next week. Our inability as a church to see the risen Lord in our lives is the same reason that these two guys in Luke 24 were prevented. We want him to do what we want him to do. And we have these unrealistic expectations of what God has supposed to do, all growing out of an incomplete knowledge of who he is. Thankfully, we're not left there. There is good news, and he has offered it to us in this exact same passage. And so very quickly, I want to show you what he is offering you today, and I pray that you take it up. It's the exact same thing that he offered these two guys. The first is, he stays with us when we ask him to. They're traveling along the road. They get to where they're going, and they ask Jesus to stay with him. They still don't even know who he is, and yet their hearts are burning within their chest. They are fired up by the way in which he has unpacked the scriptures. Ever wondered why they invited him to stay? It's not just about hospitality. They weren't just being nice guys. It's the teaching. They had heard something special and they wanted to know more. And so they don't even put a time limit on how long they say to stay. They say, look, stay the night, the week, an hour, whatever. Just stay. And he does. He goes in to stay with them. The same is true for you. Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to answer your questions. He wants you to know what he thinks about the world. He wants you to know what he thinks about your life and what's going on around you. And so what you need to do is ask him to stay. If you do, you'll discover that your heart begins to burn within your chest. Your life will start becoming on fire. You'll stay. He'll stay and you will love it. The second thing he does is he blesses our time. After he's agreed to stay, Jesus does this very unusual thing by breaking the bread, blessing it, and giving it to them. Now, what's unusual about it is not that he hadn't done it before. What's unusual about it is that he, as the, he wasn't the host, and so he wasn't supposed to do it. It wasn't his job. But in doing so, he opens their eyes. They recognize him. Jesus wants to bless you in your time with him. He wants you to see him. 
He's looking to join his life with yours and bless you. The question is, are you making space for him to do it? Do you want him to bless you? Are you allowing for that to happen? Or are you just satisfied with what you got right now? <coughs> it's your call. Thirdly, he opens their eyes. After he stays, after he blesses, he opens their eyes. When you and I are ready, like these two guys, Jesus opens our eyes to him. Again, last week we talked about what it meant to be a gratefully disposed person. Let me just point out again. Someone who is gratefully disposed, someone who is grateful for this life, isn't looking for their fair share. They know that they've already received more than God could possibly give them. More than they could possibly ask. More than they could possibly deserve. Those folks who are grateful understand all of that because their eyes have been opened. And they understand their great need. Their hearts are open to what God is doing in and around them. So is that you? Are you working towards being more grateful every day, even in the midst of the chaos of your day? How's that going? I asked you to give it a week. Is it happening? Because if it is, here's the final result. He stays, he blesses, he opens their eyes, and then he sets our hearts on fire. This is not something you actually have to work towards. It just happens. And if you've ever known this to happen to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These incredible moments when you know, when you know what God is saying, what he thinks about you or your family or the world, and it's this amazing payoff. Some people get goosebumps when this happens. Some people feel a warmth. Other people get this peace. That doesn't make any sense. The Bible says it passes understanding. However that happens for you, that is your heart coming on fire. But if you have never felt this at all, if you think to yourself, I don't really know what Father Jonathan's talking about here, then let me tell you honestly, you've got one of the first two problems I described. Either you think God is nice, but you had hoped for something different. Or you only have a partial knowledge of what God is up to in your life. And so you have some wrong and dangerous conclusions going on. Because when he stays, when he blesses, when he opens your eyes, there is no stopping a heart that is on fire. And a matter of fact, once your heart's on fire, your life's on fire, and that fire is catching, other people will see it, and they too will want to be a part of it. This is what Easter is all about, brothers and sisters. This is why I'm pushing so hard for you to be grateful because I want that fire to come alive and enliven you in just every way possible. So, let's take a couple minutes, maybe a couple moments even, and just pause and pray right now. I want you to again start by giving thanks. But then as you do so, open yourself to what God has said to you, what he is saying to you. If you have some incomplete partial knowledge, ask him for forgiveness, seek some answers. And let God do what God does best. Let's pray.
Father, I just pray that you would uh, first forgive us for trying to make you what we hoped you would be rather than just letting you be God. Forgive us for the ways in which we have convinced ourselves that our partial knowledge is enough. That just because we've crossed the finish line, we think that that's all that there is to you. Instead, Father, stay. Rest on us, in us. Open our eyes to your kingdom, to how much more there is to you and to this incredible world that you've put us in. Father, teach us, grow us, bless us. We need your blessing afresh again today. And Lord, as all of that happens, I pray that our hearts would be set on fire. Lord, whatever physical manifestation that takes, whatever that looks like in us, we are open to it. Lord, we just want you to burn in us. Because without you, we we have nothing. We are nothing. But with you, we have everything and are everything. So call us again to that very special and deep place. We ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. We're so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you will take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace.